welcome to Remnant. How are we doing? Excellent. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm, I'm really glad you're here. Uh, my uh, hope is that you find this to be a fun place to hang out and learn about God. And, and that's sort of the journey that we're all on. And we've been in this series about end times. And uh, I think we're on about week six. We haven't even got to open the book of Revelation yet, but that's okay. We're going to get to it. We've been talking about how the world is preparing, how God is showing us signs, and how we're starting to see the changes in the philosophy, and, and it's almost unveiling right in front of us every day. I sent a thing out to our church this week that was a, a news article about a microchip that a company in Wisconsin is now implanting in people that allows them to now buy things and to be identified and all those kind of things, and their employees are actually signing up to have it done. It's um, a little bit unusual, but we're seeing signs everywhere. And so if you missed the first five weeks or so, I encourage you to go back and check it out. It'll be worth your time, I think. Um, but tonight I want to talk about the, the first event on the prophetic calendar. We talked last week about how God's Word kind of outlines these events that happen. And the first event on the prophetic calendar, it comes without any signs. There's, there's nothing that has to precede it. Uh, and it is the rapture of the church. Now it's interesting, when we talk about the rapture of the church, people start giving you weird looks pretty quickly. I mean, think about how crazy this sounds. Okay, we're all going to be here, and then we're not. Like that. Like in the blink of an eye. We're just not going to be there. Like a flash of lightning. Boom, we're gone. I mean, when you think about that and you hear people talk about it, it sounds kind of crazy, right? I mean, who comes up with ideas like this? And yet, Newsweek did a poll of Americans in 2004, and it turns out 55% of Americans believe that the faithful will be taken up to heaven in a rapture. 55%. That's a big number. Now what's fascinating is, is that even among Christian circles, when we talk about the rapture, there's almost this kind of like reluctance to talk about it. Almost like we're embarrassed by it, to be honest. I mean, when you hear people talk about it, it's almost like, well, yeah, the rapture will come. It could be pre-tib, post-tib. I mean, but Jesus is coming back. And yet, the Bible tells us we should be looking forward to the rapture as much as the saints in the Old Testament were looking forward to the arrival of the Messiah. The rapture is the moment when we go home. It's the moment when there's no more sin, and there's no more death, and there's no more disease, and, and there's no more need for doctors. In fact, there's really no need for pastors either. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Anyway, well, we just don't need them because it's not needed anymore. And yet, we don't really even talk about it. We don't live every day as if, wow, tonight could be the night, you know. This could be it. I mean, before I finish, we could be with Jesus. We could have new heavenly bodies. We could be with Jesus. And so, when people say they believe in the rapture, it seems to me they do it, but not with the enthusiasm that you would expect them to do it with. And so I want to make sure we're enthusiastic about the fact that Jesus is going to come back and take His church home. That's where we need to be focused because we're going to learn tonight that when we begin to understand that this isn't just some kind of mystical thought, these are solid doctrines in the Word of God, that it changes the way we approach every day. 
It changes the way we think about our life. It changes the way we think about people around us. It gives us a sense of urgency. It gives us a sense of purpose. It changes the way we look at our relationship with Jesus. And that's exactly how God wanted His children to live. In anticipation. With expectation and excitement about being reunited with Him. So you may be asking, you know, I sort of grew up in church. They didn't really talk about this that much. Um, Where does this stuff come from? I mean, who reads the Bible and comes up with this idea that we're just suddenly all going to disappear? Well, let's take a look at that tonight. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50. Paul is speaking. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Paul's talking to the Corinthians. He's telling them, look, brothers, that means he's talking to believers. Every time in the Bible you see brothers, he's talking to believers. Sisters is implied, don't worry about that. But he's talking to people who believe in Christ. He's saying that our bodies, our flesh, is dying away. It's full of disease. It's under the curse of sin. It has to die. Our flesh, our body is temporary. It is not going to live forever. It has dirt as a destination. What's dying, he says, cannot inherit what is eternal. What's sinful cannot align with what's holy. What's temporary can't become permanent. In other words, we can't go to heaven in our fallen states and in our fallen bodies. But when we accepted Jesus as our Savior... When we were reborn, we received the Holy Spirit. God says that we were reborn as spiritual people. The Holy Spirit that we lacked prior to that decision is now not only present in our lives, but driving our lives. And so what's happened is we have been reborn spiritually, and we have become spiritual beings in a dead flesh temporary body. That's what believers are. And Paul says, hey, I'm going to tell you a mystery. Now, mystery doesn't mean I'm going to tell you something, you're going to have to figure it out. When you read the word mystery in the Bible, what it means is that God is going to reveal to you something supernatural that you could never have come up with on your own. That had God not told you it was going to happen, you wouldn't have thought of it yourself. It's not something you can deduce from what's physical in the world. It's a mystery. It's not a riddle. It's just a mystery. Simply a thing to be understood by spiritual means rather than human perception. Paul will tell the Corinthians something that they could never have known if they based their concept on reason or research. God had to reveal it. That's why it's a mystery. So Paul says, look, I'm going to reveal to you a mystery. I'm going to tell you something that you'll never figure out on your own. Here's what it is. 
We shall not all sleep. There it is. He's not starting a club for insomniacs. What he's saying is, we're not all going to sleep. How crazy is that? Sleep was a word used by Christians to denote those who have died who were believers. Instead of suggesting that they were dead and gone, they called them asleep because they're simply their souls, their spirits in heaven with Jesus, but their body is here on the ground or has been cremated or is in a tomb somewhere. They're asleep. They're waiting for the day when their spirit that's in heaven will be reunited with a new body. So they're sleeping. It's a way of saying that, that, they, they, that they haven't ended. They still exist. Their soul went to heaven to be with Jesus, but their bodies are asleep. Paul is telling him, look, we're not all going to go to sleep. What he's telling him is, look, we're not all going to die. We're not all going to die. We will not all go to sleep. Now there's no way that we could know this if God didn't reveal it. There's no way we would come to that conclusion that so far death is running almost 100%. But Paul says, look, there's going to be a group of people, a generation of people who are not going to die. They're not going to fall asleep. It's a supernatural revelation. It's a mystery I'm revealing to you, he says. You can imagine, at this point, Paul has their attention. I mean, you're talking about people who are being martyred. Every believer in Corinth at the time Paul preached and after that came under persecution, they must have thought their destiny was martyrdom. And yet Paul comes along and he says, death, although it's expected, there's going to be a group of believers one day, there'll be almost a complete generation who will be transformed into their resurrection bodies before they ever face death. And you could almost hear them saying, how's that going to happen? I mean, you're talking about believers who in a, are going to somehow skip death, go straight to heaven. Wow. You can almost hear them collectively going, okay, well, thanks for revealing the mystery, but how's that going to happen? Verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. In a split second, he says, in a blink, last trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised and other believers will be changed. It's going to happen so fast that it's going to be unobservable to the human eye. There's going to be a moment, Paul says, when people who are alive on earth, boom, are in heaven. Gone. New bodies. With Jesus. Here's what he says. There'll come a day when God's eternal plan, he gives those who are dead, who died as believers, their resurrection bodies in an instant. At the same time, he gathers all the believers who are alive at that moment and gives them their resurrection bodies. 
and everybody goes to meet Jesus in the air. That's critical to understand. The redeemed of the earth will rise up to meet Jesus in the air. And at that point, we will all receive our resurrection bodies. Those who have died in Christ, those who have been taken up to heaven. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? So let's make sure we don't get confused. Those who are in Christ, those who have surrendered to Christ, those who have heard what Jesus did on the cross and accepted his sacrifice in their place, they are New Testament believers. Many of them have died, fallen asleep, in a comma. Their life is not over. They're just living in a new state. Their spirit, their soul is in heaven with Jesus waiting for the day that they will be restored and they will receive their resurrection bodies with everybody else. So Paul says this, 2 Corinthians 5, 6. Therefore, be always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Paul is saying, look, the moment you're not here, you're with the Lord. And over and over he says, I'd rather actually be with the Lord than to be here. But I know I have work to do. But there can be no doubt that when believers die, when their physical body dies, their soul is very much alive, very spiritual, very connected to God, and is in an instant in the presence of Jesus. Those who've died in Christ will rise first, Paul says. And we'll see this further explained by Paul in a letter he writes to the Thessalonians. See, they were concerned about loved ones who had died. They expected Jesus to come back at any moment. And they truthfully, when Jesus went from the Mount of Olives and the disciples are standing there, and the angel said, look, um, he's going to come back. They thought it was any second. They lived with an urgency like that. He's coming back. You better, you better know him. He's coming back. And they believed that he was coming back any moment, and then people died. And they said, wait a minute, did they miss it? Paul, Paul, what happened? These people, these believers, they loved Jesus, and now they're dead. When he comes back, are they doomed? Did they miss him? So Paul answers that. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. What he's saying is, look, if they died in Christ, you can have hope. He continues, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul reiterates that those who have died in Christ, for those who believe to be separate from the body is to be present with Jesus. 
Jesus will bring them back. Their spirit, their soul will come back with him. They will be reunited. Paul says there will be a day when Jesus, along with all the believers who died, will come back. The Thessalonians were concerned that their loved ones may not be around to receive them when they die. They thought maybe their loved ones were in some kind of suspended sleep state. Paul says, no, they're fully alive right now. Their their spirit is with Jesus. And there's a day when their spirit will be reunited with a new resurrected body. And it's going to happen to us too. Because not everybody's going to die. But those who have died, the minute they close their eyes to this earth, they are in the presence of Jesus. It is the most wonderful truth of being a believer. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. That we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those that have fallen asleep. Paul says, look, I didn't make this up. This isn't my idea. Okay? This came straight from the Lord. It's got His stamp on it. Here's what he says. This is a mystery, a supernatural revelation from God. It's not what we think is going to happen. It's not what we wish is going to happen. God has specifically revealed this to us, just like He's revealed everything else, and this is going to happen. You see, that's a challenge in the church today. A lot of people, we look at the rapture as if it's a hopeful wish. Instead of a moment sealed on a calendar in the future. We look at it and we see the word hope and we use hope to mean, oh, well, maybe it'll happen. Maybe. Wouldn't it be great? Maybe it'll happen. And God says no. And Paul says no. I heard it straight from God. It's on the calendar. It's as good as done. We just haven't got to the moment yet. And he addresses two groups here. Those that have died and those who are alive on that day. Those who have died will be with Jesus. Their spirits will be with Jesus. And they will come back to to be with us. Their old bodies will somehow rise from the the dirt and be given new resurrection bodies. And we're all going to be with Jesus in the instant. That. So you can almost hear them going, much like you probably are. Okay, how's that going to happen exactly? What? There's going to be a day, a certain day on the calendar. Dead people are going to rise. We're going to, how's all that going to happen? Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. And the voice of the archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Hey, more details. There's going to be a trumpet sound. It's going to be the sound of the archangel. It may very well be the voice of God himself. Note the Lord will descend from heaven with the voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet. And the dead in Christ will rise first. During the Civil War, there was a battle uh, that took place... um, I think it was Shiloh. I'd have to go look it up. But in any event, 
this battle took place, and by the time the battle had taken place, there, no, it would have to be at Manassas. Okay, let's say it's Manassas. In any event, people had died on that battlefield about two years before. And when they came to fight the next battle, there had been so much rain that the bones and skulls of those that had died before were visible to all the people who were there. They fought the battle, and at night they had to sleep among the bones. During that night, it snowed heavily. The next morning, when the bugle call went out to wake up, it looked like dead people were rising up out of the snow. And the chaplains who were there said, this looks just like what I think it's going to look like. It's going to look like dead people are just rising up and receiving spiritual bodies. Looks just like 1 Corinthians. Paul continues, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. What he's saying is, look, you're going to meet Jesus in the clouds in the blink of an eye. And once you meet him in the clouds, you will never be separate from him again, ever. <coughs> Encourage one another. This is your future. This is a date on the calendar. This is what's going to happen. Now notice where Jesus is. He has descended from heaven. He is in the clouds. Doesn't say he was on the Mount of Olives. Doesn't say he stepped on the Mount of Olives and there was an earthquake and all those things that happened that we've heard about the second coming of Christ. It says he's in the clouds. We who are alive will be caught up in heaven. The word in the Greek is harpazo or harpazo. It means to snatch away, to seize away. Some people say, well, there can't be a rapture. The word's not in the Bible. There's no word rapture in the Bible. There's no word trinity in the Bible, but it's still there. At least there's no word rapture in the Greek Bible. You see, we get the word rapture from the Latin. When the Greek Bible was translated into Latin, that's called the Vulgate, and it was done in about, oh, 405 A.D., the word in Latin is rapturus. That's where we get rapid or rapture. Okay, so our word comes from the Latin, but it's the same concept. In the split second, people will be snatched away. The idea of taken. Notice that Jesus descended from heaven, but that he's not on the earth, he's not on the Mount of Olives, he's in the clouds. Simply stated, the rapture of the church will be the first part of Jesus' return. And this is important to understand. When you read about the return of Jesus, when you read the Bible and he says, on that day, this sign, those signs. We've already talked about how the signs always point to the second coming of Christ. Okay, there are no signs for the rapture. At the rapture, Jesus descends from heaven to the clouds. At his second coming, he comes to earth. Okay? So when you read about signs, or this will happen the day the Lord returns, those sorts of things, those are talking about his final return after the tribulation, not the rapture. Okay? And a lot of people get that confused. 
So when you're reading the Bible and you start seeing things about his return, you have to ask yourself, is this scripture about the rapture or is this scripture about his return to lead the battle of Armageddon? Because the return of Jesus is in two phases. Does that make sense? One's the rapture. The second is his return as a warrior. And the first phase of his coming is to come get his church. To bring home his bride. Specifically believers. When we speak of Jesus' second coming, two phases. In both cases, Jesus descends from heaven. The rapture is the first phase. He'll descend to the clouds. We'll go to meet him there. When he physically returns to earth, he will stand on the Mount of Olives. There will be an earthquake. He will be here to destroy the Antichrist at the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? Two separate events separated by time. Now, when Jesus returns to gather his church, he will be accompanied by the spirits of believers who've died. Those who've been in heaven with him since their death. Everybody's going to get glorified new bodies. And at the rapture, the soul and the body that had fallen asleep will now be reunited, but the body that they get will be a new one. Separation of the body of the spirit will be forever reversed. To better understand this, let's make sure we understand death. Death in the Bible always means separation, not annihilation. Let me repeat that. Death in the Bible always means separation, not annihilation. When people die, they don't cease to exist. Does that make sense? Okay. Remember that death is brought in because of sin, and it was not God's original plan for us. But sin is so despicable in the presence of a holy God that every bit of it has to be eradicated before we can reestablish our standing or our relationship with God. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, they died spiritually. God pulled his spirit from the earth. He had to leave because there was sin here. It was no longer the way he had created it. It had been contaminated and it offended his holiness. So from the moment that they sinned, God had to pull back. He had to remove himself from the relationship and his spirit left the earth. And people were left to try to figure out things on their own. And from that point forward, every person who was born was born physically alive but spiritually dead under the curse of sin. So all non-believers, including us, before we surrendered to Christ, were dead spiritually from the moment we were born. But once we accepted Jesus, we were born spiritually. The Spirit of God came into us and we became eternal spiritual beings having a human existence. Instead of humans trying to have a spiritual existence. See the difference? So we became new spiritual people. If you believe in Christ, you are eternal now. Death has no sting. You are an eternal being housed in a temporary human body. Your body has fallen into a sinful state, but because of the blood of Jesus... 
that weight and sin will one day be separated from our spirit. So what will happen is, because of our sin and because we trusted Jesus, we will be saved. Our spirit will move forward. We're spiritually reborn. So death, for us, is really just a separation of our spiritual peace from our physical peace. Okay? It's not annihilation, it's separation. Even people who die separate from Jesus are not annihilated. They don't cease to exist. They're just separate. Okay, so death in the Bible is separation. So when a believer dies or falls asleep, their physical body is buried or cremated and their spirit goes to heaven. And Paul describes that situation in heaven as being naked. That there are spirits, spiritual people who've died, and they're essentially in heaven naked because they haven't yet received their glorified body. Okay? They're having a full experience with God. They're, they're fully in the presence of Jesus, but they don't have their glorified body. 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us His Spirit as a guarantee. And what he's saying is, in our physical bodies, we just groan. I asked somebody the other day, I said, I wish I could remember what age I didn't groan when I stand up. I mean, at some point, every time I stand up now, I, I kind of groan. When did that start? I never paid attention to it. But as our bodies get older, as our bodies begin to decay, our tent, this tent becomes temporary and it becomes obvious to us. Right? And what Paul is saying is, look, we're going to have a heavenly body. And we're going to look forward to that. Because there's going to be a day when that's going to happen for us. And that day is the day of the rapture. On the day of the rapture, whether you've died in Christ or you're walking around a golf course or whatever you're doing, you will get your physical body as fast as you blink an eye. The Bible clear that once a believer dies, his soul goes immediately into the conscious presence of the Lord. A lot of people ask that question. If I die, how do you know that I'll be in the presence of the Lord? How, how do you know that? How do you know I just won't be suspended over here and maybe one day he'll resurrect me and I'll, I'll be this new person? Well, we look at Scripture. Luke 23, 41. On the cross, the guy next to Jesus. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Acts seven fifty five. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, talking about Stephen, the martyr, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said behold I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God he said this as he's being stoned and as he's dying he called out Lord Jesus 
Catch this. Receive, that's a bad pun. Receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when they said this, he fell asleep. Stephen the martyr is looking at Jesus in heaven. His physical body is being destroyed. And he's saying, receive my spirit, I'm coming. 2 Corinthians 5.8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Paul repeats over and over, to be separate from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be separate from the body is to be present with the Lord. 1 Philippians, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. There's no real debate scripturally. When we die, we are in the presence of Jesus. The rapture will occur in a split second. Corpses all over the world will be raised and reunited with new bodies. And everybody's going to rise up into the clouds to meet Jesus and to be with him forever. The rapture will shock the world and it will change everything. Think about it. Think about how crazy it's going to be 10 minutes after the rapture. Airplane pilots, gone. Bus drivers, gone. People, gone. Communications, down. The economy, falling apart. The entire world is going to be changed dramatically when millions, if not billions, of people suddenly disappear. We speak all the time about foreshadowing in the Bible, don't we? How often God will give us a glimpse of something before it happens. We'll see it, sort of a shadow of it, right? For example, I think that Hitler is a foreshadowing of the Antichrist. Someone who rose to power almost quietly. Somebody who thinks he's a god. Somebody who hates the Jews. We see things in there and we go, wow, he looks like the one that's going to come. We did a whole series on how the entire Old Testament, every story in the Old Testament foreshadows Jesus, the Messiah. Throughout the Bible there is foreshadowing that shows us things. So it's not surprising that we would see glimpses of rapture in the scriptures. Genesis 5.24 Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. 2 Kings 2.10, Elijah speaking. And he said, you have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it will not be so. He's talking to Elisha. And Elisha has asked, can I take your place when you leave? And he says, well, I'll tell you what, if you see me when I go, then that's God's sign that, that, that yes, that's going to be the case. And as they went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. Elijah did not die. Enoch did not die. They were taken to heaven. Jesus was ascended to heaven. Revelations 12, 5. She gave birth to a male child, 
who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Same word as rapture, by the way. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days, and we'll talk about that later. So we see in the Bible these moments of foreshadowing, of rapture-like events. And we can know from those moments three things about the future rapture. Because God is consistent in foreshadowing. The first we know is it will be a literal rapture. It won't be some kind of figurative thing. People will really disappear. It's going to be very literal because in the past, Enoch disappeared. Elijah disappeared. Jesus disappeared. And remember the, the uh, angels were saying, why are you looking at the clouds? He's gone. Right? He'll be back, but we got work to do. What are you doing looking at the clouds? The rapture of the church will not be some kind of symbolic event. It'll be literally fulfilled. Second, we can learn from these, is there will be an actual physical event and a physical transfer of people from one condition to another. In each of the other raptures, people were transformed from one location to another. The third thing we can learn from those is it will be sudden. All of the historical raptures happen suddenly with almost no warning. Enoch was a perfect example. He was there, and then he was not. And that will be the case with the rapture of the church. They were there, now they're not. The concept of believers being caught up to heaven without dying is a brand new truth for them. It was a mystery. It was hidden by God until he decided to reveal it through Paul. The Lord unveiled this mystery to, that said basically there's going to be an entire generation of believers who will be transformed without tasting physical death. Millions of believers will be clothed in their new glorified bodies in the time it takes to blink an eye. Think about that. We might be the terminal generation. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, you look at our world, it's not far-fetched. We could be that generation. We could be the generation that they talked about thousands of years ago. People walking around, and then one moment, boom, they're with Jesus, and they did not taste death. It's incredible when you think about it. You see, this isn't some kind of, like, dream. This is a date on a calendar. It's going to happen. It's a thrilling mystery. That's why many people go around saying, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come now. It's crazy. Even when we believe it's going to happen, it still blows our minds. I mean, even just studying this, I'm like, well, I'm actually going to preach. This is, it kind of blows your mind. It's hard to believe. What will that be like? And what happens is we stand here a lot like Mary did. When the angel told Mary she would have a child, a son, a Messiah, and it would be a virgin birth, she didn't say that can't be possible. 
She said, how could this be? I'm not doubting it's going to happen. I'm just wondering how. And that's how we look at the rapture. I I know it's going to happen. How could it be? It's too big for us. It's too God for us. Not doubt. Fascination. How's this going to happen? Jesus in Matthew 24 says this. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. As for in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, Jesus says, stay awake. For you don't know on what day your Lord is coming. Stay awake. But know this, he says, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Two will be in the field, one will be gone. The rapture will occur in a similar way. Jesus will appear in the sky and everyone who shares their life with Him and trusts Him and believes in Him will be taken to be with Him. All who are in Christ will be caught up. And those who don't share His life will be left here. Is that going to be you? You're going to be left behind? Maybe you'll be able to make a decision if you survive the rapture. Better hope your pilot and the people driving cars next to you are non believers. Many people won't survive the rapture. Many people won't survive the events that happen immediately after the rapture. God didn't send us the rapture so that we could look and then evaluate. He told us about the rapture so we could be ready before it happens. Because He doesn't want to see anybody not go up with Him. It's the whole point. Think about it. He didn't have to tell us about this. He could have left us out. And then He could have had like this huge big surprise party. Guess what? Boom! We're gone. But for some reason, He told us this was going to happen. Why? Why not just surprise us? Well, maybe, just maybe, he thought if we knew about it, it would change the way we live. But if you've rejected Jesus, if you haven't surrendered to him as your Savior, then you need to be prepping for the worst time in human history, worse than it's ever been before, worse than people can imagine, a time that is so horrible, even God himself says he had to shorten it because people wouldn't survive it. If you survive the rapture, are you going to be the one that says, oh, you know, one day I was at this church. They said this was going to happen. 
You can be the one that now starts witnessing to your family. Or maybe we should be witnessing to them now. God says this is going to happen. Never been wrong. Not once. The rapture is an integral part of his story. But I want you to know tonight that you can live free of that concern. That death can have no hold on you. That the victory that Jesus secured is one that he offers to you and to every other human on the planet. Paul said that when we get this kind of information, we're to encourage one another. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you haven't surrendered your life to him, I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to take a stand, to understand, to realize that, yes, this book is true. And, yes, what God says is going to happen is going to happen. And, yes, those who believe will be taken with him, and it could happen tonight. There's nothing that has to happen, according to the Bible, before the rapture occurs. But it's also possible that Jesus may not come back tonight. So let me give you something else to think about. He will be physically present in your existence in the next hundred years. This isn't something that's going to happen way in the distance. Okay, one of two things is going to happen. He's going to come back and you're going to meet him face to face. Or you're going to die and you're going to meet him face to face. But you don't have thousands of years to do that. You have maybe a hundred if you're like a baby around here. Okay? We are going to face Jesus when we die. We're going to be present. We're going to have to deal with this at some level. So whether he comes back tonight or maybe you go out of here and you turn left and you get hit and you're in the presence of Jesus now. There's no guarantees. We as a church should know that better than anyone. So let me take you back to the passage that we started with. 1 Corinthians 15. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortal, then it shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying here is this. If you believe in Jesus, you will never die. Never. Never, never. In the blink of an eye. You're going to be in the presence of Jesus forever. That's the destination for every true believer. Here one moment, with Jesus the next. Whether we're raptured or whether our physical bodies decide to leave first, we're going to Jesus. And the moment that we die, it'll be the same either way.
So what are we to do between now and then? I mean, what, okay, we know. God, there's a rapture. We get it. We're ready. We're going to try to be ready. What exactly are we supposed to do? We keep reading. Therefore, my brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul says, look, encourage one another with these words, but because of these words, because of the truth of the rapture, here's how you should be living. Be steadfast. Don't waver from the course God has put in front of you. Don't doubt what His Word says. Don't start changing what it says. Embrace it and accept it. Be steadfast in the Lord. Be steadfast in the things you know you are to be doing. Praying, reading the Word, sharing the Gospel, helping the poor, helping widows. Be steadfast in the things I've told you to do. Then he says, prepare for the future. Prepare yourself and prepare others. Be immovable. Don't let the doubters force you to doubt. Don't let what the world says in its humanism change what you know to be true in the Word of God. Don't start buying into a watered-down version of God. Be immovable on the foundation of Jesus and His Word. Don't vary from it. Don't change from it. Don't rewrite it. Don't water it down. Stand on it. Don't let doubters persuade you and don't get complacent. And don't get caught off guard. Abound in God's work, he says. There's work to be done. There are people to be saved. There's phone calls to make. There's walks across the street to make. There's people who need to know that Jesus has provided a way for them to go home. There's a lot to do in the last days. And as you get closer and closer to the end of times, be inspired, he says, because your work, your sacrifice, whatever you have to do is not in vain. God didn't tell us about the rapture so that we could be frozen, chosen, look into the sky, ready to fly. That's not what he wants from us. He told us so that we would maintain a life of anticipation, a life of expectation, a sense of urgency about the message. And if we were raptured tonight, who would you have wished you would have called when this church service is over? Who would you have wished that you would have said, can you just watch this online? I think it's going to change the way you look at the world. Who needs to have that phone call? Who needs to know that Jesus is coming back and it's not some fantasy? Paul says, make sure you're ready. I don't want anybody to leave tonight without knowing for sure that you won't be left behind if Jesus comes back. You need to be sure that you've accepted Jesus as your Savior. That you've confessed your sins. That you've acknowledged how much they offend a holy God. That you realize you have no power to do anything about your mistakes and your sins. But Jesus had the power and He came down and He took your place on the cross. And He died and He resurrected. And He offers that gift to you and you're going to take it. 
Because something inside of you says, this is very real. This is very true. Jesus took the wrath of God on the cross for me. And he says he's coming back. And he's going to save me from the wrath. And I want to be ready. And for the next few moments, I'm going to pray, but there's people in this room, maybe people listening online, who have some business to do with God tonight. If you feel God prompting you, I'm going to pray in a moment. I'm going to ask you to pray along with me. But don't just say words. Make sure that prayer is coming from your heart. And that it's the most important thing you have ever done on this earth. God doesn't play games. And God is examining your heart as you say words. So if you're going to surrender to him, make absolutely sure it's coming from deep within you. And you're not just saying some words hoping that you'll be able to sneak by. But you realize you're in a desperate situation and you seriously need a Savior. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you told us about the rapture. Told us about your return. You didn't have to. A lot of people wonder, if we're going to be gone, why do we even need to know about this? God, there's people that are hearing my voice right now who do not know you. And if you came back tonight, they know that they would not be leaving with you. God, your word says that your spirit goes ahead of these words. And maybe for these people, something's been happening in the last week or so, maybe longer. Or you're becoming more open to spiritual things. You're becoming more aware of God and what he's doing. And maybe that's why you turned this on or maybe that's why you showed up tonight. Something's going on and you can't fully explain it. Or, or maybe you've been coming to church for a year, two years, three years, four years, and, and you realize tonight you've really just been playing games. You've been doing the church thing and not the Jesus thing. You've been trying to earn your way through attending church perhaps and not really surrendering to Jesus. Maybe you surrendered to Jesus and you know you're reborn and you know everything's going well. But you've been busy lately. You've been preoccupied. Maybe tonight's the night that you just need to pray and ask God to bring you back to where you need to be. If you feel God pulling on your heartstrings and you know that you're separated from Him and everything in you wants to be connected, it's real simple. All you have to do is pray. And I'm going to say a prayer and you can pray quietly with me. God, I know I messed up. Tried to be the God of my life. I'm totally unqualified. I made every mistake I could possibly make and maybe three or four times. I know that I have not lived up to what you want. I know I've hurt other people. I know that my sins have hurt you. They've hurt people. And God, I am so sorry. It's not the person I want to be. God, I've tried and I don't seem to have it in me to change. I've tried. So many times I have talked to you, even maybe doubted that you were there, but, but talked anyway. And, and God, I just don't have it in me. I can't do it. 
But I'm realizing tonight that I don't have to because you've already done it. And all I have to do is trust and allow Jesus to take my place on the cross. God, I don't want to be in your wrath. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to be left behind. More importantly, God, if you don't come back for the next however long, I don't want to be tomorrow without you. Because I need you. So God, I trust what Jesus did on the cross. I trust it with every fiber of my being. I don't have all the answers. I don't understand the Bible. I don't understand much of anything. But one thing I know, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. So tonight, God, to the best of my ability, I surrender. I just surrender. And I'm going to allow you to lead my life from now on. I'm going to trust you to fill me with your spirit. I'm going to trust you to give me the power to do what I cannot do myself. So God, I'll just draw close to you and you change me into whatever you want me to be. But on the day that trumpet blows, I want to be in your presence. And I'm not going to earn it. I'm just going to believe and trust. So thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for me. Thank you, God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.